0: I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? An MVP? A winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint? A sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things? None of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me his child. He says I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me his masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question.
1: Let's pray. Father, we come before you a holy God, an amazing God, a big God, the Creator God, the God who spoken into this universe with your voice. We wrestle with who you are at times, God. But we know you are good. And we know you are sovereign. Lord, we're going to wrestle with some of the truths today in your scripture. Some things that are just so difficult to understand, yet so wonderful. Way beyond anything we can even imagine. So we pray, dear Father, that we may bask in your truth this morning that it would change us, it would transform us, it would give us wings and help us understand you just a little bit more. We pray for other churches, not only all over the world and all over this country, who are opening your word and worshiping you as king. We pray for a few locally, Lord. We pray for Grace Point Church and New Hope Church, and House of Prayer. We know, Father, that they are right in our neighborhood, and we would ask that you would use your word powerfully. And we pray that your kingdom would come. We pray all these things in your son's amazing name. Amen. The imprisoned Paul continues to be overwhelmed by God's grace. Well, if you're new to our fellowship, or even here for the very first time, we just opened the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament, and if you have your Bibles, you can thumb your way to the book of Ephesians, or open up your flat screens to Ephesians. Ephesians. But we introduced Ephesians last week And if for some reason you missed it I just think the podcast would be unbelievably helpful As we begin our 10, 11, 12 week journey As we open up this letter That Paul literally wrote While he was in prison That well, helps us understand a little bit, but also amazes us. Why would Paul write some of the things that he writes while under house arrest? We know that before Paul, the author of this letter, came to faith, he was a passionate Jewish scholar. He was a hater of Jesus and his followers. But one day on the way to Damascus, Jesus met him on a road, and his life was changed. In just a short amount of time, he started preaching, and he began to plant churches all over the known world at that time. One church he planted was in Ephesus. It's a magnificent city. It's a most influential city. And the scriptures tell us that Paul spent about three years in Ephesus teaching and encouraging and strengthening the believers there. Well, when Paul penned this letter the first three chapters, and there are six total first three chapters emphasize doctrine. The last three Three chapters emphasize behavior. The first half is theological. The second half is practical. And and let me just remind you again, although we have them in chapters and verses, this certainly was added later on so that we might be able to focus on certain parts a little bit easier. But just like if you were to write a letter, you never wrote them in chapters or verses. You would just begin to pen. And that's what Paul did. So the first half of this letter, he emphasizes all you who have put your faith in Jesus have a brand new life. And the second half, in light of that, live abundantly. Live focusing on eternity. Most of us, again, would like to jump right to chapter 4. I get it. And let's get a little practical, Rick. But Paul wrote those first three chapters for a reason. This beautiful letter tells Christians of their great riches, the inheritance, the fullness in Jesus Christ and his church. He tells them that they can possess and how they can claim and enjoy these possessions. It should give you hope and literally make you thirsty. So today we begin our doctrine focus, foundational for understanding life. You can sense Paul's excitement in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3, going all the way to verse 14, as he begins to focus all of his attention upward, blessing the triune God who has blessed us in so many ways. In fact, I'm going to have my wife Sharon read this text for us. But what we don't completely understand is that this is one long sentence. You English majors are going to die when you see this. All right. This is tough. But in the Greek language, when this was written, one long sentence from verse 3 all the way to verse Fourteen, Sharon. Would you read that for us?
2: All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised, and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him.
1: Paul begins this section with a concert of praise. He is so grateful to God for his salvation and for the church. Paul takes us to the very throne room of the Godhead to show the greatness and the vastness of blessings and treasures of everyone who is in Jesus Christ. In Christ. You're going to see that term over and over and over again in your Bibles. It's a term referring to those folks who have literally responded to the good news, have responded to God's gracious message of hope. They've recognized in their life that Jesus had died on the cross for them to pay their debt. And once their debt was paid, they could trust Christ as their Savior. And once that happens unbelievable things go on in your life. We know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that you literally become a brand new creation. Jesus lives in you. The Spirit guides you and directs you. Nothing is more appropriate for God's people than to bless God for his great goodness. In all things, whether pain Struggle, trials, frustration, opposition, or adversity. We are to praise God because he is good. He blesses us because he is good. And as we continue in our series, you will learn that we have been graced to grace. This starts an exciting section. You'll see it again on the front of your bulletin. We are hoping that you're going to understand the first three chapters a little better so that you understand and are overwhelmed by God's grace. You're not bored by God's grace, you're not apathetic for God's grace. You realize realistically where you are, what kind of person you're at, and yet how much God cares. It blows you away. And once we understand that, we're able to grace others in an unbelievable way. In fact, this passage of praise, Paul mentions at least 10 reasons to praise the triune God. Let's examine each one of those. Now let me just warn you, some we're going to go through quickly. And when you're actually even taught in seminary how to preach, how to present, how to understand God's word, and well, sometimes you do two points, sometimes three points. Maybe on a very unusual day you would do four points. <laughs> Today we're on steroids, All right. We're going to do 10 points. It is going to make your head spin. It is so amazing. And it will require you at the end of our time to go back and read again. Just thanking God for all that he has done. For each one of those who are in Christ. Each one of those that know Jesus. Each one of those who are part of God's family. And by the way, if you have not done that, you can do that right now. You can just talk to God and say, God, I need you. You are my Savior. I want you to take care of all my sin. And I want to be one of your kids. And God will do that immediately and right there. But let's look at these 10 things that happen. First of all, we praise God because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. It's because we're part of God's family. It's because God is a gracious God. The spiritual benefits we are given are given because we are just flat out a kid of the Savior. This will be our focus for the next three chapters, literally. The next three chapters from here all the way down focus on all the blessings, all the amazing things that God gives every child of God, we're told in Colossians chapter two, verse ten, that we are complete or whole in Him. In your bulletin, I um, gave you a stuffer. It's it's called Who Am I. It's one of these bookmarks that I've used over the years, or put on the fridge. It's one of these things you could have a study and and again, just going through all the things, the blessings that God has given every one of his kids. None of it being deserved. But it might be something again that you look at or keep as a reference. The second thing that he did is he chose us. He chose us. In verse 4, even before he, God, made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault In his eyes. Now, I'm going to shift between being a professor and being a pastor. There are some things that are a little bit hard to understand. And and I'm just going to try to blurt it out. There's things that you're going to wrestle with in this text. And always, every time you open the word, I think. But one of the things that many people wrestle with is called election. What is this that God chose us? Literally, there are three types of elections in the Bible. All right, But we're going to be concerned with the salvation of our souls. This is what Paul is addressing in our present text. Let me remind you, when Jesus was on the planet and he was discipling his disciples and preaching about the kingdom, in John chapter 6 verse 44, he said something that literally blew most people away. He said this, no one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now the Greek word here, draws, carries the idea of an irresistible force and was used in ancient Greek literature of a desperately hungry man just looking for food. God's elective will irresistibly draws to himself those who he has pre- <laughs> predetermined to love and forgive while having no effect on those whom he is not. If I could say it bluntly, we, we find some more texts in Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1, Peter chapter 1. Where God seems to say, and does say, I say seems to say because it seems so harsh, that way before the world began, He knew you would be on this planet. And He chose some to respond to Him. So when the good news goes out, and the gospel goes out, that the Holy Spirit will prick certain people's hearts. And they'll respond and become part of God's family. And others, doesn't make any difference at all. Whoa. John MacArthur says this. He's one of the um, scholars that I dig in and, and use. But, but this is what he said. The word choose here, well, it's in a special Greek tense. It indicates God's total independent choice. In other words, he makes it just because he chooses to make it. Because the verb is reflective, it signifies that God not only chose by himself, but for himself. His primary purpose in electing the church was that he would receive praise and glory. Wow. If we understand that, we sit back and we go... Really, God? Like, okay, I think you're a loving God. I think you're a great God. But but you're telling me, God, that you literally, at your own whim, just choose certain people and the rest just don't get to be part of your family? Well, let me also remind you that the Scriptures also say that man does have a responsibility. And there is choices, in John 3.16, one of the most well-known verses of all, God said, I love the world so much that whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever responds to my message of grace, well, they can become a son of God. God's sovereign election and man's exercise of responsibility in choosing Jesus Christ seem Opposite and irreconcilable. And from our limited human perspective, they are opposite and irreconcilable. It is not that God's sovereign election or predestination eliminates man's choice in faith. See, Rick, it doesn't make sense. I know. Stick with me a little longer. Divine sovereignty and human response are integral and inseparable parts of salvation. Though exactly they operate together, only perfectly in God's infinite mind. I've used the word antinomy before and I'll continue to use it. And antinomy are two opposite truths that coexist in exactly the same time. In other words, if God chooses, okay, I can buy that. But if man has free will, it can't be that God chooses. What we're trying to say is this. Scriptures say both. So what I'm encouraging you is let's believe both truths and leave the harmony to God. There's great studies. There's great uh, scholars working and trying to bring both of these together. And at least in my short life, I haven't been able to figure it out. So I know God chooses, and that's cool. And I know God also expects each one who becomes part of the family to willingly make that choice. Faith is man's response to God's elective purpose. God's choice of man is election. Man's choice of God is faith. In election, God gives his promises, and by faith, men receive them. All this to say is that in this text, verse 4, God chose before time all those who would become part of his family to be to be holy and faultless. Again, it's how God sees us when we come to the cross. It's not how we are because we continually fail and fall short and do not reflect God well in spite of our new relationship with him. Let's go to the next thing. He has adopted us, adopted us. This is so cool, this part. Look at verse 5 and 6, all right? God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for his glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Now sometimes, and we've all grown up in a really different culture than about 100 years ago, all right? But oftentimes we look, especially if you're in the schools, to be politically correct. And so when the Bible oftentimes even talks about sons, the translators will call them children or the family of God trying again to relate to our culture a little better. But what I want you to know is being politically correct right here really hurts the text, all right? And let me share with you what the scripture literally says. God decided in advance to adopt us as sons into his family, not just become part of his family. Now, before we get too upset about that, remember the culture they're talking to. First of all, there was slavery. Right above slaves, I hate to say it, but women. Just kind of got in that. Didn't have much to say. Didn't have any power. Didn't have any authority. All right? Right above that in the social structure would be a son. That'd be cool. Okay, if you were a son. But the ultimate person to be would be the firstborn the son he would have all the power i know it does not sound just but that's just how it was in that culture he would have the most of the inheritance he would have all the authority he would be the one where the land would be passed down and this literally what paul is saying which is so much more cool he's saying this he's saying god decided in advance to adopt us into his family as first born sons. Not just, well, a woman in that culture. Not just even a son. But a firstborn son. A son that inherits everything. The son that gets the silver spoon. The son that has all the responsibility. That's what I have given you. It's also mentioned in Galatians chapter 3. But in Romans chapter 8, the scripture says this, is that we have a relationship with God that we can even call him Abba Father. Now to us, and this literally drives translators crazy, no one knows how to translate it. It's, It's kind of baby talk for daddy. So we get to talk to the great creator, the king of kings, and be able to go to him as a cherished first son, and call him Daddy. Now what blows your mind if you really look at this, this adopting us as firstborn sons gives God great pleasure. Now, I don't know all of your life and all your secrets, but I know me. And I think maybe one day last year, God was just jumping for joy. Rick, you really obeyed that day. Rick, this was a blessing. But the truth is, sometimes uh, I'm a little slow. And I know you are too. And sometimes we don't behave like an obedient son. <laughs> but God blows us away. It. He did this because it brought him great pleasure. So we praise God because of the grace that he dumps on us. Then Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 makes a seamless transition from the work of God the Father to the work of God the Son to whom God implemented this plan. Here Paul gives five more reasons to give God our praise. This is is really cool. The next thing, he redeemed us. He purchased our freedom. In chapter 1, starting at verse 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And I'm going to stop there because we're going to talk about that last part in a second. There are again two Greek legal terms for redemption. There are. One of the terms refers to kind of a simple purchasing, buying in the market. But the second or other term that is in Greek that uses the word for redemption is used here. And it's used literally to help us understand it's a stronger meaning. And this word literally means and refers to a paying a ransom, in order to release a person from bondage, especially that of slavery, which was common in Rome. And so what Jesus is literally saying is, he is so kind, he is so gracious, he purchased, he paid a ransom for us by dying on the cross. It was the only way that we would be reunited with God. He paid our debt. And because he's so kind and because he's so gracious... He said, I want to go, I want to live on the planet, I want to die, I want to spill my blood so that man can be reunited with us. We're redeemed by his blood, not with perishable things. We're bought back out of slavery so that we might experience life. The next thing in this text is that he forgives us. In verse 7, continuing on, and forgives our sins he's so rich in his kindness and his grace he buys us back redeems us by his death and then he forgives us of of our wrongdoings it's amazing if you study how Jesus forgives even when people don't deserve it he forgives and he forgives you and me. Paul, the apostle, preached forgiveness only comes through Jesus in Acts chapter 13. We see it in the Older Testament in Psalm 103 where he says, Hey, I have taken your iniquities and I've separated from as far as the east is from the west. Oh, it's Amazing. God's grace overwhelms us and forgives us for all the wrongdoings we have done, we are doing, and we will do. And then what's really cool, in verse 8. He has showered us with his kindness, along with all wisdom and understanding. Paul is like a machine gun here. He's just saying, I I can't believe all the spiritual blessings you've given me. On top of all that now, you have showered me with more and more of your kindness and grace. He did not use the word squirt. He did not use the word mist. You know? Okay, that's enough grace for you today. All right, enjoy it. No, you're you're standing there under the shower head, you know? And that water keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. In fact, it just keeps coming as long as that faucet's on, I think, if you have a good pump or, I don't know, whatever, you know? But you are not dribbled with God's grace. You are not drooled with God's grace. You are showered. All over, you're wet everywhere, and that's our God. He reveals His will to us, is the next thing that happens. His mystery. Well, in verses uh, 9, 12, and 13, let me read those. God has now revealed to us His mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fill His own plan. And down to verse 12, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. He has revealed his will to us. Originally, again, the message went out to the Jews. We find in Acts, it eventually went to the Samaritans. And lastly, to the Gentiles. These are people groups. And God was just shouting that my salvation is available to anyone and to everyone. I love you. I want to grace you. And I want you to know that my plan of salvation is available to all. Who does this? Why would God do that? Because you are loved. And then he provided an inheritance to us. Look at verse 11. Furthermore, because we are united in Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and made everything work out according to God. To his plan. Now at first reading we would look at this and the only time you or I receive an inheritance is if somebody dies. Now hopefully um, situations and circumstances were, were good in that whole situation. I, I don't know how anyone dying feels good for any of us. But when somebody dies they leave a will or they leave an inheritance most of the time. Maybe small, maybe large. But it really requires the person to die. But what sticks out is that Christ is alive. And he has promised us all these blessings while he is alive. Amazing. Just as the first three reasons... To give God praise related to the work of God the Father. And the next five related to the blessings we have in God the Son. So the last two reasons relate to the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is 9 and 10. Buckle up, we're almost done. All right. But this is what he said in verse 13. Verse 13. I'll read it all. I, I just read some of it. But, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth and the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit or by sealing you with the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. He has given us the Holy Spirit. Everyone who is part of God's family one of the greatest blessings we will ever understand is that the holy spirit dwells each believer Now back in those days again, and it's somewhat used today, although not as important, a seal made it official. A seal made it legal. Usually it was a wax kind of a, uh, a substance, and there would be a ring or another kind of seal, but it would be pressed on that document, and you would know that that was an official document. And what Paul is trying to say, this is every believer has been given the Holy Spirit. It's the legal proof that you are part of my family. And the Holy Spirit is going to teach you to pray. And the Holy Spirit is going to comfort you. And the Holy Spirit is going to teach you about the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit is going to convict you about sin. The Holy Spirit is so amazing. And it's going to live inside of you. In the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in certain people for certain times to accomplish certain tasks. One of the greatest things that had happened after the cross in this new dispensation is that the Holy Spirit is available to each and every believer and it is their seal of saying, hey, you are part of God's family. We don't deserve God living in us. We don't, but he does to everyone in Christ, to everyone who has come to him in faith. And lastly, the 10th thing in these 14 verses, the blessings that he has just been dumping on us is that he guarantees our inheritance, just a little different. But in verse 14, The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. Literally, He has given us all these spiritual blessings so that we might bring God honor and glory. We might wake up every single morning and say, Do you believe it? Do, do, do you believe that I'm a child of God? Do you believe I have breath today? Do you believe all the blessings that God has given me? Do you believe the Holy Spirit is living in my life and giving me power and authority? Do you believe, and you can start going through. And there's a lot of things that are hard to believe that God has given every one of us as believers. You see our inheritance is the aspect of salvation, which primarily well, which is primarily future, but guaranteed by the spirit we were elected or predestined before the world or time existed. We have been redeemed in this present age. we will receive our completed inheritance in ages to come. When we fully enter into the Father's eternal and heavenly kingdom. Peter also talks in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 about this amazing inheritance. An inheritance that cannot be destroyed. An inheritance that is uncorruptible. But an inheritance for everyone who is in Jesus. That he or she will be able to enjoy for the rest of eternity. That alone is pretty amazing. It is. But God says, I love you, and I've graced you, and I've blessed you. At least here, even though there's more, Paul's top ten reasons to give God praise, to leave here because of who you are in Jesus, even though there are more. Let's look at them all. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has redeemed us, purchased our freedom. He forgives us. He has showered us with kindness and grace. He has revealed to us his unbelievable will. He provided an inheritance to us. He sealed us by giving us the Holy Spirit. And he guarantees our inheritance. This is just the tip of the iceberg. As you study all that God has done for you and in you, because you put your faith in Jesus, it's amazing. It's just amazing. And so we end again with a logo that we have for this series. And that is graced to grace. We have so much God has dumped on us. He has showered us with grace and given us privilege and position way beyond anything we can imagine. And so we never boast about any of our accolades. We never boast of how smart and how wonderful and how terrific and how gifted we are. We boast about how wonderful God is. And how I stand amazed and grateful for what he has done for me. Let's pray. Father, we do not deserve all of your blessings. We do not deserve, and, and we just about talked about 10. 10 life-changing blessings that you've given us. God, we thank you. And we love you. And we pray that as we learn more about you and understand who we are, that we would reflect you better each and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.